mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode four, and this morning Ruth and I are talking about multiplication. I also need to mention that it's crazy hair day, and Ruth is having a hard time looking at me this morning. Seriously, but we'll, we'll make th- we'll make it through. Um, so Ruth has been working on multiplication of decimals in her sixth grade class, and. As we've been talking about it on our runs in the morning, we've also been thinking about how what she does in sixth grade is so dependent on what happened in second and third and fourth grade to think about multiplication. So we're going to try to trace the learning of multiplication through those grades, and we won't touch on everything but some of the highlights, I think, so... Um, we'll start with uh, we with where we ended last podcast. Oh wait, before that, we said we said we were gonna um, kind of give a shout out to our listeners and um, just we just want to make this uh, you know an interactive kind of thing. So make sure that you like and comment and share this with your teacher friends. And for real, if there's something that you are getting ready to teach or have taught and you just feel like it didn't go well, ask us about it because we probably have done it or seen it, or we can definitely research it and get back to you. That's kind of what this is all about. Um, Our years of experience given to you. Yep. And we've also been talking about how the the beauty of a bo- of a podcast is that you can you know listen to it on you know ten minutes on your way to school ten minutes on your way home don't feel like you have to sit down and listen to it all at once and you don't have to watch it so it's you don't have to wait until you are with Wi Fi and yeah you can listen to a podcast in the car and not get pulled over but you can't watch a video in the car yeah. and get pulled over <laughs> awesome all right so um, last week we ended with Adelie my daughter sharing a multiplication trick that she had like a shortcut that she knows about multiplying by fives so Ruth do you want to can you maybe like retell what she was doing and then at, at the end after we kind of like turned off the recording you were like oh she's just doing this blah 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 so explain that so she knew that it was easier to multiply by 10 than it was by five. And she was even able at the end of her trick to translate it to decimals because multiplying decimals by 10, she really had a good understanding of that. And so she would change the five to a 10 and the other factor she cut in half. So if her, this wasn't the one that she did, but if you were multiplying six times five, you could get the same answer by multiplying three times 10 because you're cutting one factor in half and you're doubling the other factor. And it just so happened that she always doubled five. So when I ask her to multiply three point, what did I ask her? Seven, maybe. Yeah. Seven times, seven times five. She knew that she could cut seven in half and get 3.5 and multiply that times 10. And so she had a solid understanding of what it meant to multiply by 10 because when we ask her, what are you doing? She said, well, you're just increasing the place value. She knew that you were moving that, not just moving the decimal because the decimal in a place value chart stays still. It's yeah. always between the holes and the tenths. Right. So super impressive. And that is a strategy that you can teach when you are teaching multiplication because mm-hmm. lots of kids that's one of the first things that they can do mentally 
is double something or cut mm-hmm. something in half. Yeah. Um, not everybody, but I would say that even the strong kids in sixth grade could cut numbers in half in second grade mm-hmm. in their head mm-hmm. because it's sharing. And like you mentioned in episode three, that's something you do since almost as soon as you know that there's something that you want, yeah. your parents are teaching yeah. you to share. And yeah. that means equal groups. Yeah. And and I actually learned that whole trick or strategy. Maybe we shouldn't even call it a, stri- a trick. I think that strategy from a third grade student. I watched a third grade student do it in a number talk and my mind was kind of blown. So it doesn't have to come from you, the teacher. It could come from the students, you know. There right. are kids that are probably doing it and don't even know what they're doing. They just have figured out something that works. So I talked about in the our intro episode about my trip to the NCTM conference yeah. and how I learned all those ways to subtract. And I remember coming back and teaching my fifth graders all those strategies. Mm-hmm. And David, who was probably one of my most successful students in fifth grade, just was like, Miss E., that is what I do cool. in my head. Yeah. So I had given what he did a, a name. Yeah. Like I had validated that, yes, this will work every time. So that's what we as teachers need to do is not necessarily have all of them and use all of them ourselves, but be versatile enough with numbers that you can identify right. and help the student understand you got lucky and you got the same answer mm-hmm. or... That's a valid strategy to yeah. use to problem solve. Oh, I just I have to tell a story from this from this week. It's not about multiplication, but um, we were doing a two step problem where the first step was addition and the second step I'm pretty sure, yeah was subtraction. And there was there were several kids that just had the answer to the subtraction problem, and it was a problem that needed regrouping. And you know you're like oh, frustrated. Show your work. How did you get it? But instead of starting there, I'm like how did you get your answer? I just asked them and they were using that whole adding up strategy, which is one that we try to develop in number talks. And it was, you know, the kid was like, I jumped eight to 360 and then I jumped a hundred to 460. It's 108. I'm like, oh, it's okay. You know, if, if you don't show your work every time and show the regrouping, they're, they're using those strategies flexibly. That was like a moment of celebration today. Right. So let's talk about where you think multiplication starts. So I actually, so again, we're in Virginia, and I know that maybe not everybody who listens might be from Virginia, but I went to double check, and the first place that it looked to me like it showed up is skip counting in second grade. That's where I I didn't see it in kindergarten and first grade. doesn't mean that kindergarten and first grade teachers don't skip count, you know, by fives or tens or something, Um, but I saw it in the second grade SOL counting by twos and fives and tens, and I think... After, you know, teaching a little bit of second grade when I was in the stream lab doing some I we actually I actually did a lesson on skip counting. I think my biggest my biggest point that I would kind of want second grade teachers to focus on would be that don't just get that like rote song or like counting in your head. That's not all it is. They need to understand that. You're, it's a quicker way to count groups or equal groups of objects, you know? So I, I feel like sometimes we're like, ready, let's count by fives, five, 10, 15, 20. And there's not meaning to it, mm-hmm. you know? For me, I would say that as important as that is, it's also important that they see that between the relationship with patterns. Hmm. And 
a really good way to do skip counting is to use a hundreds chart and have the students color all the twos one color and all the fives one color and then look at the relationships of how they make nice, neat patterns Mm -hmm. on that hundreds chart. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure, that's something that you could um, do when you introduce it. But there's also merit because not everybody gets it the first time it's introduced. Mm -hmm. So I don't... I feel like it's beneficial for third and fourth grade teachers to do it. And I do it when we do prime and composite numbers. We Mm -hmm. identify all the multiples a different color. And some of my sixth graders are seeing those patterns in their eyes for the first time. Right, right. Oh, I've done that too. I mean, so many times they're like, I've never seen this before. And you want to say, yes, you have. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But but they're looking at it with fresh eyes and with a lot more background knowledge when they get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I think from there, it goes to third grade in, in Virginia. We That's where they really introduce the concept of multiplication. And I really like in how in our third grade standard, it talks about different representations. And they have to know that multiplication can be thought of as groups of or rows of or jumps of and on the so um, groups of would be like equal piles of something. So three times four would be three groups of four objects. Um, rows of would be three rows of four, like in an array. And then jumps of would be three jumps of four. So on a number line, you'd go to like four and then jump to eight and then jump to twelve. Um, I have to admit that as a, just as a person, I struggle with the rows of, like I can get all of the rest of, I can, you know, quick draw, drop a picture and be like, oh, this is three groups of four, or this is three jumps of four. But if I put up an array, my brain cannot yet like quick name it as three rows of four or four rows of three. Yeah. Any like strategies so, for me? It's funny to me that you... I mean, I know you were pulled out from the SOLs, but in my class, my students said, well, what about columns? Mm-hmm. Can we have three rows of four columns or three columns of four? Mm-hmm. So that is probably where their brain was, too. Like, I know what a three by four array looks like. Mm-hmm. So can I draw it with three columns instead of three rows? So... I understand what you're saying about that. And I think if you name it correctly, I mean, I do I do know that there's like, this is the right way to name this. Yeah. We know that it is going to yield 12. Right. Either way. But for, for me, I was able to tell my kids, you know what? You can say that yours is three columns of four because mm-hmm. that's how you arranged yours. Yeah. Wait, so you're like, if I, I'm trying to play out what you said, if I, if I, instead of saying it as three rows of four, if I said it as three rows of four columns, that's the same three thing? Three columns of four. OMG. I'm so <laughs> confused. <laughs> so you're identifying that you put your blocks in rows. Okay. And they put theirs in columns. Okay. So it's a rotated rectangle. Yeah, I get that. Right? I get that it's the same. Uh, okay. But, so maybe you just say, which one is this boy's girl? Yeah, three rows or three so columns? what I do. It's just <laughs> so true. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. Okay. Confessions. Um, all right. Thank you. So that would be third grade. So let me just interject here because at the end of episode three, you challenged me to not just teach 
eight groups of three hundreds, but teach three hundreds of eight. Okay. Yeah. As a model. Yeah. And I took your challenge and their understanding of why those are the same. It was just so magnified. I mean, it just seemed like everybody was able to understand it. And so we knew that three groups of eight hundreds, what it looked like. We had little piles and they actually had to draw their base 10 blocks and make eight hundreds. Okay. What were you using as your hole just so that I can have a picture in my mind of what you're doing? So when we illustrate, when we draw them, we draw the flat, which is just a square. And then we draw the, and that's the hole. Okay. And then we draw the tents as just tally marks. Okay. And like the, the rod. Mm-hmm. And the hundreds, the little units, are dots. Okay. So, so this would be three piles of eight units if you were looking at base ten blocks. But mm-hmm. in your in your representation, like your drawing, it's three piles of eight dots to yes. represent eight units. Okay. So now we switched it and we said eight hundredths of three. Okay. So I teach that by telling them that Carrington, my daughter, is asking me for money on a regular basis. (laughs) And so I always just give her a part of my money. Okay. So in this case, she got to have eight hundredths of what I had and I had three. So the student three dollars. I had three dollars. Okay. So the student is looking at three base ten flats. Okay. To represent their three dollars, and they colored eight hundredths of each one. Oh, cool. So they color eight hundredths of the first, and eight hundredths of the second, and eight hundredths of the third. It lends itself perfect to now jump because you have each number represented. Mm. So we did jumps of. We okay. did eight hundredths, sixteen hundredths, twenty four hundredths. Cool. About this time in the lesson, people were like, okay, okay. And Ben raises his hand in the back of the room and he says, Mrs. E, could we say that that is eight hundredths of one three times? Oh, I love it. Because he saw that in the model. Yes. Cool. And he used the word of and the word times in a sentence to really help him understand what that was. So okay, then we say got it, to say it again. So that was really cool. And it helps that I'm looking at it because you wrote it down. But right. <laughs> since this is a podcast, <laughs> we have to be really clear. Say it again. So he said, we are doing eight hundredths of three. But is that the same as eight hundredths of one three times? And he's seeing that because he did eight hundredths of the first one and eight hundredths of the second one and eight hundredths of the third one. And he's seeing three of those groups putting it together. That's cool. And so he wrote the numbers on his desk, eight hundredths times one times three. Yeah. And then we got to talk about, well, you tell me, is this the same? And someone said, well, yeah, because you could just use the commutative property yeah. and move the three, and then you could use the identity property. Yeah, cool. So it was pretty cool to look at it both ways. Um, One of the struggles that we've had since the beginning of time, I'm sure, is that kids that don't know their facts. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you go to guilty. You're in sixth grade. You should know your facts. I'm emailing your mom. 
you need to practice them at home. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just push it off. Or you say, hmm, I wish the fifth grade teacher would have done something about yeah. this or the fourth grade teacher would have done something yeah. about this. And then, unfortunately, a lot of these kids get to algebra and their algebra teacher saying, I wish their elementary or middle school teachers mm-hmm. would have done something about mm-hmm. this. So what can we do? Oh, this is like the the, the question, right? <laughs> um, so is it okay to start with the don't do's? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... And like you said, guilty. I'm I have used timed test before, but I am like leaving that in the dust. I think that for any good that there could be from that, I think for most kids and the kids that are struggling who don't know it yet, it is this huge anxiety situation and math is not about being fast. And so that teaches them that math is about being fast. So time test, I would say across the board are a no. Another strategy that I feel like, um, again, I have used before, but I'd stay away from now that I know more, is um, filling out a multiplication chart. Like I see teachers who, that's their strategy. They Anytime they're going to do multiplication, they're like, here, have a piece of graph paper or a blank multiplication chart, and I want you to fill it out before you go, and then I want you to use it. Um I think there is certainly a place for doing that, for filling out a multiplication chart, because of what, going back to what you said about the hundreds chart, seeing the patterns, there are so many cool patterns in a multiplication chart. But I've watched kids be like, you know, um, so dependent on that. And they'll be like, I can't do this problem. I don't have a multiplication chart in front of me. And, you know, that just, you know, takes away all their flexible thinking, you know, um, so I'd 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 say no to that now that I know more. So the things that I do try to do in my class and and this might not be I don't know I I've read some people that would say maybe this isn't the best idea but I work off on skip counting a lot. Um and mainly my reason is because I taught my daughter the, you know, the skip counting songs when she was really little and she uses that a lot. And she's because there are tons of times where she solves problems by quickly skip counting. Not I'm not talking about skip counting like, OK, I'm at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, not that kind of skip counting, but where it's becomes rote in their head and then they know how to use it to help them. What do you think about the skip counting? So. I have uh, I have had students who can rattle off their sevens yeah. so quickly. Yeah. And they could get to 56 faster than someone who was just quote unquote knew their facts. Yeah. Um the one particular girl that I'm thinking about she did it every single time. Mm-hmm. Even if she knew that seven times three was 21, she still had to say seven, 14, 21. Yeah. Huh. It was like she, maybe she was dependent on that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were going to pick my favorite strategy, it takes a little more time. It does lend itself better to lower elementary than in my class, but I would do number talks where mm-hmm. students can teach those strategies yeah. and how awesome is it when they use the distributive property as their strategy Mm -hmm. and you get to just 
name it. Yeah. And you get to show them that this is not some algebraic thing with letters that's really hard. This is something you do every time you multiplied seven times six because you knew seven times three was 21 and another group of seven times three was 21. And together that made seven times six. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I feel like that's the highest level of best way to get your kids to know their multiplication facts is to teach them to be flexible and to use known facts that they have. You know, that's I mean, that or that's sort of like doubling distributed property. I don't know. There's all these different Mm -hmm. things that they can do in their head to get from something that they know to something that they don't know. Um, So going back to skip counting, when I teach them to skip count and I and I have. I do a song for the threes and the fours and the sixes and the sevens and the eights. And we sing it every single day while I'm signing their agendas. Um, And some of them still use that, like your kid that you say, and they are able to get there quickly. But then some of them will start somewhere, you know, start in the middle and work Mm. off of it, which is which is better, you know. Um, So then on top of that, I just think doing lots of things with the facts that are good practice, um, that are deeper level practice, you know, games that are not just how fast can you say this multiplication fact, you know, games that are like find the something to do with finding factors of numbers or finding multiples of numbers or, you know, better practice. And I would um, point out that U cubed is a great place to go and find better practice for multiplication than just how fast can you say this? Maybe give a plug for Math Counts. Okay. They have a Math Counts club that when you join and say that you will have a club, which involves inviting some kids to your room one time to play some math games, they Mm -hmm. will send you math games in a nice binder. And the games are so fun. Cool. Have you gotten yours yet? I've gotten mine. And the kids play them. I've had to take a day and show them how to play all the games. And then they rotate. And now when they're done early... They go get those yeah. games to play. Cool. Um, and a, most of them are multiplication factors, you know, really making you use your strat- use strategy mm-hmm. to win the game. Yeah. Okay. So have we hit multiplication facts? We don't have the, like, one answer, you know, but yeah. flexibility is better over just... And taking responsibility for your students at this point. Yes. It's so much easier to pass the buck and say, I can't do this. Yeah. But like I'm sitting here thinking, I really haven't done enough with my facts. I do have a couple silly rhymes. Yeah, I was, that, I was just thinking that. Maybe we should have mentioned yeah, that. Go ahead. Talk um, about it. So I don't even know if you can still research the company, but the company was called Rhymes and Times. And it was like, for me, the first time I realized that you could encourage students to memorize these couple facts yeah. and feel success. Right. And so... There's a whole, in fact, if you watch Multiplication Made Easy, if you search that on YouTube, Mm -hmm. your video will come up and you use that at the beginning where you show them these are the facts that you need to know. And Tracy's actually set it up so that the student learns the rhyme, um, five, six, seven, eight, 56 is seven times eight. Mm -hmm. And then they repeat it back. And so... They could use that video if you have even a student that you want to assign that to or your own child at home. Yeah. Um, it's really catchy, and there's a couple just silly rhymes that stick in your head 
the fact that I could repeat all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and it's, the, I, I teach them six of, you know, there are more rhymes that that program had more, but mm-hmm. I ended up teaching them six because those are the six that you can't get with either skip counting easily. I mean, now now my kids can skip count by seven and eight because I wanted them to be able to for division, really. Um, but the six facts are the ones that I think are the most important to memorize because all of the rest of them are much easier to get with a strategy. So, okay, let's keep moving. Um I'm trying to we have we have a little oh, plan, right. Ruth. So, I can't see who I can't what does this what do we do once we have our facts and now we're headed into larger numbers? Okay. Yes. So so we're talking about like in third grade we know our facts and then in fourth grade we have to move to a two by one digit problem or a two by two digit problem and then a three by two digit problem. And I think we won't camp out here. We won't like go into too much detail because we could say we could talk, spend a whole episode, I think, on that. Um, But I because my kids had a little bit of background and some experience, but some of them had none. We were kind of in this weird land of I couldn't start at the very beginning because it would have been like too much review for the ones who already had it. But I had to build some understanding. And so my two takeaways from recently going through that would be that if you're going to do the traditional algorithm, um, which is like, you know, multiply the ones times every, the top, all, every all the numbers across the top factor and then put that placeholder zero and then do the tens times all the rest, you need, it is so worth it to spend the time to f- to develop with them what that zero means, that placeholder zero. Or even, I didn't know this, but some people, I just in my class saw this, that instead of putting that zero, some people shift the problem, like there or the second um, product over to the left. Does that make mm-hmm. sense to you? So there's not a zero there. And right. I've also seen some students who put an X there. Yeah. But when you ask them why the X is there and their answer is because that's how I learned it. Yeah. You can't really call that learning it. Yeah. So as a sixth grade teacher, um, of course, I can't teach you how to multiply decimals if you can't multiply whole numbers. Mm -hmm. So I did a really quick assessment of students in sixth grade, 120 of them. Um, I just gave them some three by two and two by two multiplication problems. And there were six kids out of my 120 that I had to email their parents and say, can you please let them stay after school so I can solidify this understanding before we move on? But for wait, first notice that six out of that many in sixth grade is pretty awesome. Yeah. Like kudos to the fifth grade teacher. Yes. And she would tell you that. She would say that she camped there a long time. Yeah. And I know that that teacher did a lot with area models. Good. Um, which is really successful. And there was a lot of students who learned the area model and are now able to just translate it into the regular algorithm. That's so cool. Because, Tracy, as much as we talk about, you know, don't just teach the algorithm, don't just teach the algorithm, there's a reason the algorithm is there. Yeah. It is the fastest, most efficient way to solve the problem. And so that is where you want your child, your student to get, but you want them to understand. Mm -hmm. It's like you want them to be as intelligent as the person who created that algorithm <laughs> yeah. so that they know why it under, why they why it works. Yeah. Um but that was the biggest majority. Those students didn't have a good understanding of wh- why you needed a zero. Mm-hmm. And we all know that when you don't use your placeholder zero, your product's mm-hmm. not right. Mm-hmm. And so estimating is really important 
so that students know that that answer is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened yesterday in class. We were finding out the price of pumpkins if it was $1.25 a pound and you bought a four and a half pound pumpkin. And the student got fifty eight fifty. Hmm. And she brought it to me and was like, Missy, this doesn't make sense. Why would it be a $58 pumpkin if it's only four pounds? Hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were able to identify what her error was. Yeah. Um, because she had estimated and knew it just didn't make That's sense. That's great. I used that yesterday, too, when I was helping somebody. So can we go back for just a second? If What if there's a teacher that doesn't know why there's a placeholder zero? What would you say? Like, can you put it in words so i'm gonna have to put it in words using an actual problem okay so we're gonna multiply 32 times 4 well 32 times 40 times 74 okay so that you would have to have a place value zero um so i would teach the student that there are two problems that they could that they have to solve and so 32 times 4 is the first problem that you would find the answer to and then you would find 32 times 70. Okay. So you've broken you've sorry, you've broken 74 up into 70 and 4 mm-hmm. into the true values of the numbers. Right. In fact, in my class, when I ask you the steps to multiply this and you say, "Well, first you have to do 4 times 2 and 4 times 3." I stop you and say there's not a 3 in this number. Mm-hmm. That 3 is a 30. Yeah. And we're going to call it what it is. And so when you force the students to call them what they are, it really does help them be successful. And so 32 times 4 is 128. And in the traditional algorithm, that would be your first row. Okay. Well, 32 times 7 is 224. So 32 times 70 is 2,240. Mm-hmm. So it's really that relationship that we, I think we talked about in one of our episodes, multiplying by 10. Um, and kind of like that student who yeah, was in my class yesterday that. that problem is 32 times 7 times 10 that's what i've used this year to help them get it yeah because i want i want you to see that you're doing 32 times 7 first and then we know when we multiply something by 10 we shift the numbers over to, on the place value chart um so yeah okay so you're going to then find the sum of those two numbers mm-hmm. and that can go back over underneath your original problem and you are working your way towards being able to do the traditional algorithm without having yeah. to rewrite the problem. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so I think we should go ahead and spend the rest of our time hearing about how all of this, all this, you know, building background and understanding of multiplication, how did that kind of move into what you've done this week with multiplication of decimals and I'd like to hear what things you do again next year and maybe what things you changed so far on what you've done okay so if I were to identify the biggest problem with multiplying decimals I would say it's the zero placeholders okay okay so if I'm asking you to multiply 12 times six thousandths and you've just finished adding right (laughs) like as in like a couple weeks ago you learned how to add and subtract decimals and what did we learn we learned that we had to line up our decimals and so now my students want to write 12.000 times 0.006 and multiply all of that with the decimals lined up with the decimals lined up and can you get the right answer 
sure, it's a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And most of the time you don't get Mm -hmm. the right answer. So I forced them this year for the first time because I've done everything from write the numbers without the zeros and multiply them, turn them into an easy multiplication problem. Um, But this, but I wasn't teaching it in context. I was just giving them a strategy. Yeah. So this year I made them write 12 times six and then beside the number six they had to write the word thousandths so we moved from writing the multiplication problems in standard form to short word form okay so i do 12 times six and i get 72 and i go back up to my problem and i see the word thousandths and that is the word that i need to have in my answer okay so i have forced them into reading place value numbers Mm mm-hmm and understanding where the decimal goes to make it that place value number. And so they would put a zero <coughs> in front of that 72 and place their decimal. And we had thousands and we had hundreds. I even threw in ten thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a lot of rich discussion about place value. So I guess it was the beginning of the week after doing equal groups and we modeled it um we made a generalization okay and i've used probably some funneling questioning to get (laughs) to it in some classes but our generalization was if we combine equal groups of tenths our answer is going to be tenths Mm -hmm. and if we combine equal groups of hundredths our answer is going to be hundredths okay So we worked all week and we found out that that was right because even when we had 32 groups of 27 hundredths, our answer was still going to be hundredths. That was our generalization. So now we're multiplying decimals by decimals. Okay. And we have one-tenth times one-tenth. Okay. And we've modeled it and we are talking to Carrington about getting money out of my purse. <laughs> and the students see that it's 100th and our generalization doesn't work. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It broke down because it's because you said it's, you know, it, if, if combined, you followed it, it would have been tenths again. But so now it's right. hundredths. So but how do you deal with that? We it, I didn't deal with it. A student who made the generalization, because there is so much power in, this is Tracy's generalization, so we're going to call this, what did Tracy say? And all week for that Mm -hmm. class, there was a student whose name that I referred back to. Okay. What did Tracy say? Tracy said that if I combine equal groups of tenths, I'm going to end with tenths. Okay. And I said, well, here's a problem. We had a tenth and a tenth, and we have a hundredth. Yeah. Why does Tracy's generalization not work? And Tracy... Someone in every single class was able to say, well, Tracy was talking about combining equal groups, and we only have part of a group, Hmm. so we can't use hers. Okay. So it was like they developed, this is the generalization for whole numbers times decimals. Yeah. And this is it when you do decimals times decimals. Okay. And... We modeled um, tenths times tenths with base 10 blocks. Um, I used the Number Pieces app to do that. We shaded the base 10 blocks. Students really got a solid understanding of it. We had a great big discussion about why 
your teacher should never have told you that every time you multiply, the number gets bigger. Yeah. Right? Because here it is, getting smaller. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, but do you understand how we kind of did that same thing when we made that generalization about when you combine equal groups of tenths, you get tenths. Mm -hmm. So we kind of made that and now we have a little bit more knowledge. So we're not going to use that every single time. We're going to go with what we know to be true now. Yeah. And So there was so much deep conversation about multiplying decimals. And I have not one time said... Let's just count all the digits and move the decimal. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Yeah. Because there again, it's the algorithm and there's yeah. definitely a place for it. Yeah. But I will not be the one who says it. Cool. It will be a student who says it. So okay, so your generalization that still holds is if it's a whole number times a decimal, then your get your answer's gonna be the same kind of pieces that your decimal is, mm-hmm. right? And I showed them like three groups of two apples. Is going to have some apples mm-hmm. and four groups of two boys is going to have some boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but how would you write in a sentence their new generalization of what to do when it's a decimal times a decimal? Do you have one or are you still working on it? Um, we haven't come up with something that is going to be. Uh, no, I okay. don't have one. Okay. So where I feel like I'm heading now. And again, you ask me what I would do next year. This might be something that would you know, be on the don't do, but I think I'm going to do like one tenth times two tenths and under underline those digits. And as we underline those digits behind the decimal count, place value places, mm-hmm. tens, hundreds, thousands, mm-hmm. tens, hundreds, ten thousand or thousands, ten thousands. So I want them to come to the place where they get that. And I will tell you this too. I have four of them that are in a special ed class mm-hmm. and he sees my lesson plans and teaches what I teach, but he doesn't teach the way that I teach. Mm-hmm. And he said, when I saw that you were doing multiplying decimals, I knew you were going to take this long journey <laughs> to get to the algorithm. Yeah. But I just taught him the algorithm from mm-hmm. the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And those students are experiencing success. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that they could sit down and have a conversation with you about mm-hmm. multiplying decimals, mm-hmm. but they are getting the right answer because all along the way they've been practicing it. And we kind of yeah. talked about We've that. We've been we, talking about this a lot, you know, and that is why I brought it up again, because it became evident to me that this one particular boy who he just tells me out loud on a regular basis, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But he is experiencing success with this because I've been teaching multiplying decimals for two weeks and he's been doing the algorithm yeah. for two weeks. So to, to fill people in, because this is like many, many days of conversation that we've had, is that we are both trying to really teach conceptually. And, you know, there's this pendulum swing and we're we're trying to be closer to one end that's towards conceptual. And then there's this algorithm, you know, rote kind of strategy direction and what we've been reading is, of course, we need a balance. You know, there's mm-hmm. value in both, um, even though we'd want to sw- go a little bit toward, more towards the conceptual, right. you know, but we've but we've been reading that students that struggle need you to go in the other way of more explicit t- teaching um, broken up step by step by step. And so it seems like that's working in this case, mm-hmm. you know, that that those kids are getting a little bit more direct 
piece by piece. And then maybe that's helping them understand your concept, you know, be ready to grasp your conceptual. That's kind of cool. I've, I've been trying to use that this week with when I'm helping kids who don't get it, like be a little bit more direct than I would have chosen to be based on what we've been reading. Cool. Okay. Did we cover everything you wanted to say about multiplication of decimals? I think, I mean, I was, it was funny when you teach multiplication of decimals, I think the area model is just as important as it is in whole numbers. It's a little bit harder to understand, but in real life, when you're carpeting (laughs) your floor, it's not going to be three feet by four feet. Yeah. It's probably going to be three and a quarter by four and a quarter. It's kind of a small room, but yeah, <laughs> point take yards is or that, something right? meters. I don't know. <laughs> um, Jay's in the background. That's too small. Exactly. That's too small. <laughs> closet. Yeah, they, they said that's a closet. Okay, so um, we it's um, wait yeah we need to go to school, friend. So let's wrap it up and think about a um, takeaway. I admit I don't have one yet, so I'm hoping you'll go first. Okay, so my takeaway is that. I need to own my students that don't know their multiplication facts. Mm. And we got to go back to doing that on the wall, whether I start singing those songs or making them choral count or doing more number talks. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to get those strategies for them to be able to be successful. Yeah, that's good. I think my my takeaway is that I can be more flexible in my thinking when I get to multiplication of decibels, you know, um, you've you you doing it a couple, maybe let's say weeks or maybe in a month or so ahead of me makes me go, OK, I need to be really flexible. I need to start with having because we're going to be kind of doing a good understanding of what decimals are before we ever even do decimal computation. If we don't have a flexible understanding of changing the whole in the model, none of this is going to work. So mm. um I'm going to try to build that understanding of decimals with models that is flexible first. And I think the very best way to do that is to help your students understand that the pieces get their names because of how many it takes to make a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, these good. are tenths because it takes 10 to make a whole. Beautiful, beautiful segue for fractions. Yeah. These are fifths because it takes five to yeah. make a whole. Yeah. Not because that's how many there are, how many sections there are in the bottom. It's just how many it takes to make a whole. Yeah. Cool. All right. This was helpful. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow for a run. 